Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You know, there's something that happens when we are in, at ease and all of our needs are taken care of. We get lazy. I do. When, I'm, when everything is going well, I just kind of kick back. And, and you know, it's, it's such a funny thing. It's, it's almost like, actually, it's not funny at all, but it's something i got a purpose to be careful of. That's why he says beware. Because you ever heard of that, that term, uh, idleness is the devil's workshop? Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio for today. Pastor Rob finalizes our study of Deuteronomy chapter 6 by exploring how God reminds the nation of Israel how to be obedient to Him. He cautions His people on what happens if we disobey His will and plan for our lives. Today, this is a reminder for us to be diligent in staying in the Word of God. As Pastor Rob explains, we can all get very complacent when things are going well. However, this is the most important time to abide in Christ because of what may come. Here's Pastor Rob with today's teaching. Between your eyes. Don't literally set the box on your head. I mean, if it works, then praise the Lord. If that's what you need to do. If osmosis works good for you, then stick it on your forehead. Just don't stare at it. Otherwise, you're going to go cross-eyed. Right? But it's more... Get it into your heart and into your mind, but don't just let it set here. Let it get down. So in Exodus 13, we're actually, we're going to skip these two verses. But this, this verse right here, it, it goes all the way back to verse 5, which is Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's what the, you know, when he says putting them on your, on your frontlets of your eyes, you know, your mind. What's going on up here? What are you filling your head with? Or to put them as uh, on your arms, you know, your, your strength, your hands. What are you doing with your hands? What are you doing with your life? And then in verse 9, he says, And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, there's this really interesting thing that um, we actually have one in our house, and we're not even Jewish, but it's called a mezuzah. And you can see um, this uh, picture of it here next. This is what a masuza looks like, and it's just a little uh, silver thing, or it can be gold, it can be a, a different designs. But inside this little thing that people put on, the Jewish people put on their doorposts, inside there will be a little piece of paper, and it'll have this verse typed in Hebrew, or written in Hebrew, and maybe a couple other scriptures, but at least it usually incorporates this one. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That Those two verses, verses 4 and 5, are usually inside. If I take that little cap off at the top there, I can reach in there and pull out this little piece of paper. And it's been a long time since I did it, but that's what it is. In Psalm 119, verse 11, David said this, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Sin against you, Lord. And that's really what he wants. He wants it internal. He wants it inside of you. That's why it's not just up here, not just on here, but it's got to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will. He first makes you willing and then to do of his good pleasure. Verse 10, he says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, and here's the danger, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You know, there's something that happens when we are in, at ease and all of our needs are taken care of. We get lazy. I do. When, I'm, when everything is going well, I just kind of kick back. And, and you know, it's, it's such a funny thing. It's, it's almost like, actually, it's not funny at all, but it's something I got a purpose to be careful of. That's why he says beware. Because you ever heard of that, that term, uh, idleness is the devil's workshop? Remember in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were filled with idleness, and they had fullness of bread. A lot of these guys were walking around, and they didn't need to work because things were so good. And what happens then? Fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's what happens. And that's what happens if we're not careful and diligent with our spare time, especially men and women. What do you do with your spare time? What kinds of things do you watch, listen to? But he mentions this because he knows what's in the heart of man. And this is what man is bent on doing. It's what he's bent on doing. And you know, we can get into the place where we're focusing on the gift and we lose sight of the giver. We don't want to be like that. When he blesses you and and he gives you all this abundance of things, always be thankful to God and always be on your guard. For the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. And he's just looking for an idle hand, an idle mind to work in. And you know, there's something about when we're given everything, we don't really appreciate it. That's why it's so important when you have a teenager, when you have, uh, you know, moms and dads, you know. It, there's some, I remember when I was in college, there was this one guy who lived in the dorm next to me, and I, I went to Stetson University for my undergraduate degree, and there I am down in Florida. And um, this young man had a wealthy dad, and he paid for all of his school. Everything was paid for. I have no idea why he was living on campus, because he could have lived someplace off, off campus in a nicer place. But his dad was filthy rich. And he buys his son in college a brand-new Mitsubishi 3000 GT. I mean, this thing looked like a Ferrari. It was low-profile, and the doors came up like this. And he had this in the dorm, parking next to my you know, Chevy Spectrum compact thing. I mean, two people could pick up the front end of my car and move it, you know, and move the other part and shift over a whole complete space. But, oh, man, look at this thing. And yet this young man had been given so much that one night he came into his dorm room so drunken 
He went over to his TV, his big screen TV. That's when they had, they, it, back then they didn't have the flat screens yet. They were still in these cathode ray tube CRT things. But it was big, and it was big like this. And he, he came home drunk, and he tried to get it on, because I, I heard about this after, because I heard the crash. But well, this is what happened. Why am I telling you this? But anyway, it's a good story. I got your attention, don't I? Um, he tried to turn the thing on. It wouldn't turn on. So in his drunkenness, he opens this huge window, and he takes it and he throws it out. And right as he's throwing it out the window, his roommate came in. And you know what happened? The thing was unplugged. It wouldn't work because it was unplugged. But in his, his um, spoiled bratedness, and because his dad had given him everything, he didn't have to work for anything. The moral of the story is, is it's like this. When, when you're given everything, like the children of Israel were, they, they had the land. They didn't have to work for it. You know, there's something about working halfway for something. You know, it's like um, when I got my first car, I had to pay for some of it. It wasn't just my mom and dad or my mom. You know, she could have paid for the whole thing. My first car was a 78 Camaro, jacked up with the Keystone rims, you know, with the Kreger. Um, you know, it was, it was a really nice car. 1978, though. But I had to pay for some of that, and I love that car because I had to invest something into it. And I wasn't just lightly to go out and trash it because it didn't cost me anything. But there's something about heaven, it costs you a little something. So think about that as you uh, love your kids and stuff like that. Consider having them go halfway with you. Let them earn, let, let them have something, an investment in this thing with you instead of just handing it over to them. In verse 13, it says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. And this word jealous God occurs three times, this phrase. It occurs three times in Deuteronomy. Here in this verse, in Deuteronomy 4, verse 4, and then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. And he's a jealous God. He knows what's best for you. And when he sees you going off the deep end, when he sees you running after the shiny and silver thing that has got you enticed in whatever way he's trying his heart is to get you back to bring you back and not allow you to do what you're intending to do what your old nature wants to do because that's what happens we run after the shiny thing and he's like he's jealous over you you've allowed that thing to become an idol now it's, it's on the throne of your heart no longer he any longer now you've got to have this thing now you've got to upkeep this thing. You've got to maintain this thing. You've got to get a second job to make sure that you can maintain it, that you can keep it. And God is jealous over you because he knows what's best for you. He created you. He knows the insides of you. He knows why you do things. He knows the motivation behind everything that you do, everything that you say. He knows what you're going to think tomorrow. Read Psalm 139 and, and fall on your face in awe, as I do often when I read that. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Mesa. Hmm. This is interesting. This word tempt, it means literally to prove or to tempt. And in Exodus chapter 17, let's just go there really quick. Or Actually, you know what? I need to um, summarize it for you. In Genesis chapter 17, the Lord said to the children of Israel, because that was when they were arguing and complaining about water, 
And God had every intention of providing for their needs. But Moses said in Exodus chapter 17, verse 2, he says, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? Why do you do this? And you know the story, the historical event, excuse me. He struck the rock. God told him to strike the rock once, and the water would come forth. And so he did. And in Matthew chapter 4, turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 4. We're almost done here. Hang on, we're just going to go through this one chapter. I was going to go through two chapters, but it's not going to happen. But in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 5, this is what it says. Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil, the devil took him out into the desert. It says in verse 5, Then the devil took him up into the holy city to set him, or set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, and here the devil quotes Scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And what did Jesus say to him? It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And that's exactly what he was quoting from. This verse right here, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You shall not prove him in that sense. You know, God loves to help people when they're in genuine, unforeseen need. But to jump off a cliff and to say, well, I'm going to do this and God's going to do something, that's called presumption. When we say to God, I'm going to do this foolish thing, I'm going to do this rash thing, I'm going to put this thing on the credit card, God will provide. That's presumption. That's testing the Lord. That's tempting him. We ought not to ever do that. He says, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. We're back now in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, verse 17. Now we're in 18. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. And when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand. You know, it's normal for kids to ask questions. Tell them the truth. And you know, I try to make a, 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 an agreement with my daughter that when I tell her things and I say no, I try as much as I can to tell her why. Because she needs to be instructed. And so when I say no to something, many times I can say no because of this, and I explain it to her. This is why I don't want you to run out in front of the highway, because cars are flying by here and you'll get smashed by a car and die. Makes pretty good sense. But the harder thing is when the Lord gives you just something in your heart, you can't explain it why. And this is the challenge for a young person to obey their parents regardless of whether they've got something, an answer for why. Sometimes you don't always have the why. My daughter will say, well, why? And I'm like, honey, I don't know, but the answer is still no, and you need to obey. That's the hard thing. But yet... Our nature is such where we will grind that thing. We will be like a, <laughs> we'll try so hard to, uh, to corner that kind of logic. We resist it. But young people, myself included, I need, when Pastor Jeff was here and he would say no and he wouldn't give me an answer, I wouldn't henpeck him. I wouldn't continue to, to press it. Or when, when I say, ask God something and I don't get an answer, 
I don't keep prying. I say, Lord, you know what you're doing. I don't like it. (laughs) I want to do something else. But Lord, I trust you. And I I need to trust you because you're God. You know all things. You know whether this thing is good for me or not. And if I'm going to destroy myself and pollute myself by making it an idol, God knows. Verse 21, he says, Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves um, of Pharaoh of, of Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders before your eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of his household. And then he brought us out from there. Notice that. Underline brought us out. <laughs> he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. Underline bring us in because I love that. He brought us out of Egypt to bring us in, to give us a land which he swore to our fathers. And I love that because God always loves to, his idea is to bring you out of something only to bring you into something. He wants to bring you out of something to bring you into something. Are you struggling in a job and you're thinking to yourself, uh, Lord, I don't, I don't uh, you know, I, I hate this job and, and I don't like it. It doesn't really provide for my needs. And then you find out that you lose your job and then you're all upset because God allowed your job to be lost only to find that three weeks after this, after your unemployment benefits start dwindling or whenever that is, months go by, and then finally you get this job and it gives you benefits for you and your family and all of a sudden you're getting $32 an hour when you only got minimum wage before and you're like, are you kidding me? Lord, you allowed me to get fired and that totally challenge my faith now. I'm, I'm completely broken. I'm freaking out. And you provide something even better. And he goes, I, I, I knew what this was going to do to you, and I knew that it was going to bring you to an end of yourself. And yet he wants to bring you out of something to give you something better. Look at the verse up on the screen. It's First Peter chapter 2. It says, But you are a chosen generation, Peter tells the believers, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him, notice, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that what he's done for us? He's taken us out of darkness, and he's created, he's done something even better. He's taken us out of something and injected us, placed us into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. In verse 24, And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. That's always God's heart. It's, it's for good. Do you ever doubt God's goodness? You may not like his methods. You may not like some of the difficult things you go through. But remember, it's always creating a character. Everything you do is creating a character. The the situations that you come into, God is either orchestrating them, purposely causing these things to happen, or is allowing something in your life to chip away and to form that character, to form this character. That's his heart's design because in it he's conforming you to the image of his son and there's no way around there's no way around being broken and being humble and learning patience than to be broken and to be impatient. And God makes sure that you go through those things. Why? To frustrate you? To make you mad? No, he does it because he loves you. He wants to bring you to that place and, and conform you to his image. And boy, that's such a wonderful thing. When you come out the other side of it and you recognize what he's done, boy, it encourages your faith. And when you see it in other people's life, that's why it's so important that we pray before we get involved in trying to fix somebody else. 
There may be somebody in your life who's struggling financially, and you're like, you know, I could just write a check right now, and it would fix the problem. And sometimes we circumvent what God is doing in their life. That's why it's so easy to give when you have it, but boy, you have to be especially careful because God may have allowed this situation in their life, and you have to consider that. I could be enabling somebody to continue in their sin. I know this because it happened in my life. My mother was enabling me to continue in my unhealthy financial habits. She finally wised up to it, and as a mother, she, you know, withdrew those funds. And I didn't understand it at the time. I was angry. But it was one of the best things she could have done because I realized I was presuming upon it as a college student. It wasn't healthy. She was enabling me to continue in my sin, not knowing it. I don't know if she knew it or not. I mean, I wasn't buying drugs or anything like that, but I was presuming upon it as if it was like a, a paycheck. And I forgot that she did it when she could. But it just so happened that she could do it enough that it became routine, it became habit, and I presumed upon it. should never do that. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful, verse 25, to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You know, so we're going to stop there tonight. But, you know, be encouraged in this and, 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 and take to heart what we learned here in the very beginning, you know, where it says that you may fear the Lord to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson. Be so diligent about sharing these things with your kids. Be diligent about it. It's not going to come easy. Something is better than nothing. Don't think that you have to teach your children a a full-length Bible study when you're, you know, they can only maybe handle 15 or 20 minutes and they're gone. Take 15 minutes and sit down with them. And if you have to just read to them, do you realize that just reading to them is more important than any other thing you could prepare for them? And if you can prepare, praise the Lord. As you read, you interject things and you teach them about what you've learned about that. That's what this... That's what these people weren't doing. And that's why in Judges chapter 2, verse 7, we read of that horrible thing where a generation grew up that didn't know the Lord. It's because the parents failed. I don't want to be a failure as a parent. I've failed enough. I've made my mistakes. So have you. But we can't just roll over and lay over. We have to stand up again and say, Lord, I want to do this right. Help me. If I do nothing but read to them out of love, help me to do at least that. What kid wouldn't sit there on a couch or on their bed and you just pull out the Bible and just read for 15 minutes? And as the Lord puts something on your heart, share it with them. Pray and go to bed. That is by far better than anything else. And do it every night. So, Father, we we do come before you tonight, Lord. We recognize that we need help in this. Lord, I know that I need help in this with my own daughter. Lord, help us to to take these things seriously, Lord, for our own lives, for the next generation, Lord. such an important thing. And, Lord, I pray for every young person here. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them immensely, Lord, that they'd know that they're loved, that they'd know they have a purpose, that you have a purpose for them, for their life. You have a great plan, a great prospectus for their life. Lord, I pray that you'd fill them and help us all to love one another and to encourage one another, to grow with one another. Lord, bless us tonight. Lord, please get us home safely. Lord, I know the weather is 
turning sour out there. Lord, would you please get every one of us home safely tonight? We ask it in Jesus' name. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited format, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been... Truth in Christ.